0: Welcome to another episode of Make Friends with Change. In this episode, we interview uh, Matt and Gail Taylor, founders of the MG Taylor Design Methodology. Um, this methodology helps people solve complex problems together. Yeah, um, and um, over the years, uh, there's been a number of um, models uh, developed to be used in this collaboration design work. Um, and we're going to talk to Matt and Gail about one model in particular, which is the um, which is quite relevant at this time, which is the rate of change uh, model. Um, and you can find um, the MG Taylor uh, models in this book here, um, the collaboration code, um, the models uh, version. Um, and this book is by Matt Taylor, Rob Evans, and Kel V. Uh, Byrd, all very um, highly experienced MG Taylor practitioners and facilitators. And... Um, and yeah, we'll put a link um, in the description of where you can uh, pick up a, a copy of this book, also. And we've also interviewed uh, Matt and Gail Taylor once before on episode four of our Wordplay Radio podcast, which we'll also pop the link in the bio. The view we're taking on this whole thing is the possibilities of change and redesigning of the system, and 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 what that kind of um, the opportunity that we are given right now, and you know, to see how. Um, fragile everything is, and to, and to look at the future and, and to rethink things. And I guess, you know, that's your area of expertise. You guys have seen a lot. Um, and yeah, we just, I guess, just wanted to get your perspective on things of, of where the world is right now and maybe talk about the, that, that model, or if you don't think that's the right model, may, maybe, maybe something else. Um, well,
1: that's a good model. It's a good one? Yeah, that's fun one. I, yeah. mean, I, I noticed in the, in the latest iteration of the graphic, um, as has happened at least a dozen times before, it's always interesting to see when someone we have, OK, redo the graphics, because we don't we don't tell them what to do. It's sort of fun to see how the graphics come out. And so the latest ones in the book, I noticed that the collision with the future circle that is, has, has disappeared. <laughs> If you go back to the very old ones where all those lines were coming together, there was a circle.
2: They cross over.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, where they cross over one another. There was a circle that said, collision with the future. <laughs> and I always find it interesting psychologically to see which which changes people made. Uh, you know, and and uh, you know, so maybe next iteration I'll say, don't you think we ought to put that collision with the future back in? But uh, it's, uh, it's it's kind of fun. But that's a missing part of that diagram. Right oh,
2: yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Models. Yeah. Yes
1: and models. That's the latest version I'm talking about in terms of the graphic. Uh, the origin story was uh, 1961, and I had gone to New York City to get experience in uh, construction, engineering, and management with big companies and big projects, which at the time, if you wanted to learn how to build, New York was the place to go, you know, because there was just stuff going up all over the place. And and uh, so I, I, I got a very nice job. I got two very nice jobs while I was there, nice projects. But anyway, uh, the first project I got was, a smaller company for New York City. It was a family-run company. Run company. They were big. They were doing multi-million-dollar projects, but it wasn't like Tishman. I ultimately worked for that was, you know, doing forty projects at once somewhere, in, the, you know, uh, they'd have one or two going at a time. And I was working on one of their big projects out in the Long Island. Uh, but uh, they were starting a uh, off Sixth Avenue, a multi-story. Uh, 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 a building for apartments, very high quality, expensive uh, apartments where you could buy your apartment. And uh, and so they wanted, they called me up and they called my boss and said, send Matt out here. We're shooting the foundations and we want him to come and bring this guy and put in all the foundation levels. I was standing there and I was putting my, satellite uh, my equipment to get back in boxes and everything. And I turned and here was uh, the vice president who had hired me to go to the other project. Uh, And he lived just down the street and he was coming home. So he came around and we started talking and he was a very nice gentleman. And and, uh, so along the line, you know, he said, well, Matt, what do you think of our new building that we're building here? Well, being the subtle and discreet uh, and very sensitive person I was at 21 years old or something. Uh, I said, well, I think it's actually pretty damn ugly. And I don't know why you're building this, you know, there's just like, every, you know, around here, you know, hey, you know, this is New York City, beautiful, look, look. And started off on a rant of what could be done. And he very nicely listened to me and we talked. And finally he said, well, Matt, he said, think of this. He said, by the time we get return of capital, not return on capital, return of capital, they're different. Return of capital, you just got your money back. Return, you know, the others, you got a profit. But just getting their money back, he says, on this project will be 10 years. From the time that we bought the property to where the building will be built and we will get enough profit back to get our investment back, our capital back. Not the money they borrowed in the select way, just their capital. And and uh, he says, Don't you think that that's enough risk without building one of your crazy triangular circular monstrosities? <laughs> Which he, he had seen my architectural work, you know. I wasn't working as an architect, I was working as a field engineer for him, but anyway, and, and we liked each other a lot and we could talk this way to one another. So I went home. And that shocked me. Because at that time, I had always been very, very religious about getting the building in on cost and faster than what was specified to me. And that was my expertise. And uh, and so to think about investment of the building, and think about, well, every building has to return, one way or another has to return its value, it has to return its investment, has to pay for itself. so I went back to my hotel, which was over off on the other side of the park, and I could sit there and look out over the park at night. And I was up all night long, just thinking and thinking and thinking. And here's what came out. That the shock. That they took this financial risk in one economy to deliver it as a mature product into another economy. Because even in the 60s, Things were changing pretty rapid compared to the day. It's a piece of cake, but that's looking backwards, you know. Things were changing. So the risk of a capital investment was much, much, much higher than I thought. And then that's when I started thinking well, wait a minute. If the rate of change is growing exponentially, which from growing up in the 40s to then I could see that it definitely was. And uh, if complexity was growing, cybernetics people were beginning to talk about complexity as an issue, um, then there's gonna, that no matter how fast we're creating our capability. So if you look at the model, two are going up and capability is going down. Well, actually our capability alone is still going up, but relative to the other two other two models of, of, of complexity and rate of change. And by the way, it's the rate of the rate of change, not just the rate of change. The rate of change is not solid. The rate of the rate is exponential and changing. And, and so that's why it's such a huge a problem because now now you have this collision with the future, which should be a big circle there called collision of the future. And, 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 uh, and, and this is where your ability to be requisite of social ability to be requisite with change will collapse. And that's exactly what you're seeing in the world today. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's good change or bad change. It doesn't. It says can you do requisite with the change is the fundamental issue.
2: So Matt had uh, three propositions. That look in the next. This he, he he's talking about when we met, in 1976, 1975. He was finishing a manuscript, and um, his premise was there'll be as much change in the next 25 years as there's been since the Middle Ages.
1: And people laughed.
2: And well, I don't know whether they laughed or just didn't they didn't compute. So most of them didn't say anything <laughs> because it just didn't, you know. And um, that each of us had more access to information than any king or queen or the most powerful person had on Earth at this point in time. And that we had more, uh, well, we had more access to information. We also had more power than any king or queen um, up until, you know, I mean, any king or queen. So we had understood that. But you know, when um, when ISIS started and the whole terrorist thing, we found out how much power one or two people had in terms of starting an initiative and making it happen and changing the course of history. It didn't take a big, it didn't take a country, it, you know, that we're used to and things like this. So it happened. And, and in our podcast, um, we have a quote We are entering an age of acceleration. The models underlying society at every level, which are largely based on a linear model of change, are going to have to be redefined. Because of the explosive power of exponential growth, the 21st century will will be equivalent to 20,000 years of progress at today's rate of progress. Organizations have to be able to redefine themselves at a fast and faster pace. That's by Ray Kurzweil, who...
0: Ray Kurzweil, yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Who's, the Singularity who's, Curve. Yeah. So 20,000 years so and that was 2003. So when you think about, you know, what is... And, and today we're even challenging what is time. Time is only useful. As we count time It's only linear time for our own convenience, but it's not earth time. It's not um, quantum time. We still don't know, at least I don't know what quantum time is. I have several fact- several ideas in my head, but how do you measure that? i thinking, you know, one other thought about exponential rates of change. I've been saying for a long time, the lily pad story, We you know, that story of exponential change In a lily pad, in a pond, you put one lily pad in, two days later, one day later, it's two, and then four, and then eight, and then 16, i.e. the exponential. So the day before it's full, it's half full. And and then if you go back, so let's just say it's 60 days, so on day 30, it's half full. And day sixty, it's full. Then, if you go back to like day twenty-four, day twenty-five, day twenty-three, something like that, it's only one percent full. You know, and so that, and and so we can't see it, and we can't feel it. And this, this, time and space is giving us the ability to see how fast um, we can cause change. with the Singapore can see their sky. India can see their sky. China can see sky for the first time in a long time. Um, not only are we cleaning up pollution, where the frequency of our Earth is slowing down and we can measure that. It's the first time. And the sounds. The sounds uh, and the frequency of the movement, the shifting.
1: There's made a measurable change of, a, of, the, of, the, of the sounds in the Earth just in this 30 days.
2: Yeah. So and this is so so the other thing that most of us have been saying for so long who are thinking about the future is we have to make the changes together, one by one, we can never see them. And two that's not saying we don't do things on our own, but it's and two, all life is a relationship. Well guess what? Guess what we're seeing today? Mm-hmm. We're seeing Relationship and everything—the consequences of this virus and our economy, our school systems, our religious systems, our question about capitalism—you uh, know—a year ago, nobody in the in our White House would be thinking about uh, helping with uh, flat taxes and 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 um, what do you call it net or you get a month of, at birth, you get an a amount of money, yeah,
1: just a, a, whatever
2: that, that income is. Nobody would be thinking about that, but today, they are, they are. And so there's just, you know, we're all emerging, all four of us sitting here. We don't think of ourselves as being emergent, but we are just <laughs> slow moving sometimes. And Earth is emergent and, and we're all, of evolving Uh, and so you know it's going to be interesting to see where the whether we try and go back we can't go back of course or try and go forward and the steps that we take to go forward Uh, so yeah so you know with that rate of change we began looking at so what's our role what do we do and and really latched on to the requisite and the fact that we had to start working together, which was unheard of. I mean, there was cooperation, but collaboration, no. And design, none. You know, in fact, our board of directors asked us not to use the word design because it meant interior interior decorator, um, <laughs> which was female and they didn't want any. <laughs> so.
1: I mean, our board of directors, when we had, our, when we formed the corporation, oh, don't use that word.
2: <laughs> Par- paradigm, we couldn't use. You know, was, we did. I mean, I mean we ignored them, but, <laughs> but it was pretty funny. But we said, you know, what, what keeps people from changing? What keeps people from seeing themselves changing? Is a better question because we're changing all the time. But the. Um, and so we said, well, the fact that you come into a meeting and introduce who you are and what position you have, and, and where in the organization you fit, that's a static view
1: in a hierarchy. In
2: a hierarchy, and it set it sets you as your role in this, in whatever conversation is going on. And um, so we said we're going to take away all of that, take away all the introductions up front because we're really interested in who people are becoming and what can happen together rather than who people are um, when they walk in the door. And we, so we, we started looking at the signals and said, what are the signals that we can either put in or take out so that we're creating a place of trust where people can come in and feel suddenly like they belong. Um, but not and full of ambiguity, and a little bit because we we wanted to loosen up their certainty, of, you know, like they had to come in with answers, and, and to coming in with um, play and toys, and I mean we putting those toys in an environment 40 years ago, you can imagine it was, it was quite dramatic, <laughs> but. So put to such good use, put to such good use. It's just amazing. Um, and the stuffed animals, people took on personalities with those stuffed animals, like you can't believe. And um, and name tags. So we only put first names on. We never put the last name on or the role. And we worked with a lot of uh, hospitals and the doctors. would one doctor came up at the uh, <laughs> in the session at the end and said i could not stand the fact that i didn't have doctor on my name he says he says he says it just made me so nervous the first day and a half i thought don't they know who i am don't they know i am the doctor you know everybody calls me doctor and he he says it wasn't until the end of day two that i began to get that i began to see that you were asking who we are as people not what our jobs are, not what our roles are, you know? He was so honest with it all. You know, he said it was really embarrassing for him to be so upset with the fact that that people weren't calling him doctor. Um, But anyway, just an example of of, uh, the difference from what we set up um, and what their expectation was when they, you know, they thought it would be entirely different coming to a meeting.
1: Now, but here's there's something else that kind adds of to, adds to this whole, you cannot you, you cannot foresee the future with great accuracy and great detail. You can actually make the future. Making the future is easier than forecasting the future because it's all our actions together and separately that make the future. In, most all areas and and, uh, and and but you can build good models of the future and that's what we call weak signal research and and, and what you do is is, is you, you go way back you find those trends I out at, at, at the time that Dale and i were starting um i was uh and, and i was doing my course I was doing a lot of reading. There were 500 books for this course. Not that everyone could possibly read 500 books, but the group together could make a big dent in that, and then we'd be talking on the same grounds. And there had been a book written about NASA. NASA, after they went to the moon and spent billions of dollars, and came back with, what, 100 pounds of rocks. Uh, uh, people started asking the question: well, wait a minute. You know, billions of dollars and a hundred pounds of rocks. Now, what did we get? And and NASA had never really thought about justifying uh, what we got. I mean, if you look at it, step back and look at it. You know, obviously, uh, it was a good thing to do. But but they hadn't been prepared for this. That freeze-dried ice cream. Yeah, we did. And okay. yeah, yeah. And but anyway, they went to the three. Uh, Uh, consulting firms, research consulting firms, and asked them to do uh, uh, a survey of what benefits have come to the U.S. economy for the investment of going to the moon and whether that was paying out in a net way or not. And so all three groups did different things. But this is is a couple of them. Uh, As I was reading this, they went back to the origin of all these ideas and their benefits. So the orbit of the first craft that circled the moon, they didn't land, they went and circled it and came back, so they tested everything but the landing. The next one landed. It went and circled around and came back. Um, was done uh, by a calculation written by a German scientist in 1924. And, uh, and the issue is weight, okay? And so by doing this figure eight, it's called, you pick up the moon gravity throw to get back. And, and, uh, and so they went down the list, I went down the list of all the stories and uh, yeah, virtually everything that was the technology that got us to the moon was suggested and researched and started in the 20s. And of course, 30s, 40s, accelerated greatly by the, the Second World War, um, and and so what that showed me is that the little things that happen before the big thing happens are embedded in our history, and they go a long ways back. And, and by the way, this hasn't changed. If you actually go to any phenomena happened today, as we may think, 1946. Um, that was what started the computer revolution that we have, okay, 1936. I was actually sent by, uh, by Stanford University to uh, to Japan to work with a bunch of engineers that had been given 10 years to study that one document and look at what was happening. This was in the mid 80s, big 90s. No, it's two thousand and three or four, I think when I had four it
2: was this, uh, so it two thousand
1: and two. Yeah, it was actually at two
2: thousand and
1: two. Yeah, anyway, but anyway. And and these engineers had been working all these years and I spent a day and a night until four in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After the formal part, you go out and drink in Japan and that's an amazing thing. <laughs> but uh, we uh, uh, those ideas were still viable. Those ideas were still something that, you know, these were chief engineers from all their different fields, and, and they had like 10 years to study a document written in 1946 because it was so fundamental. And, and so, how do you forecast the future? You read the past, you look at the trends, you see the ones that look like they may have long legs. And you look at their rate. And then in the early days, it's harder today, actually. We have so much more information. But in the early days, what I had was a list of about 10 magazines. Because if you read the magazine, you knew where they picked the ideas up. They were scientific and business magazines. So like one business magazine does never talk about the future. They only talk about something when it hits the market. But there's others that will speculate a year or two. And then there's scientific ones. And so if you read, the idea will show up in some kind of crazy thing. And then this legitimate magazine science will say, well, there's this new phenomenon that people are looking at. And then later will come along one that will talk about it being developed and who's writing the PhDs on it, what tests have been run. And then there'll be a business magazine talking about a new company being formed around this new crazy idea. And that is about a 10-year spread between those magazines. What? Yeah. But it's still, it's still, mm-hmm. yeah. right? we're, we're not reading anything that doesn't have some decades oh, yeah. Uh So, so well, the, the point is, you can build these models. And then there's one other thing. If someone says, we're going to have fusion by this date. Well, we know how long it takes to build a thermonuclear facility. And we can look even if it was compressed considerably by uh, modern techniques. So if you're going to have a fusion system producing energy for half a state by this date, I start looking at where's the plant? Where's the plant being built? Because until that plant's built, we ain't going to have that. And, and and so this is where you look at the lag times in the different fields, and then you can build a scenario, you draw it all out, and then you start seeing where you got it right and where you got it wrong and everything. So one short thing about this, when we did Space Command, the design shop for Space Command, you know, recently we now have a US Air Force Space Command. Well, we did a design shop with Space Command almost 20 years ago. <laughs> So you kind of hear things like, um, uh, and they get formalized. But the point is we did a big, you know, the scenario exercise that we did, you know, on the big wall and everyone comes up and, you know, writes out, you've seen that. You've done that stuff
2: Yeah,
1: okay. Um, so what we did in this one, because it, because it was critical critical to the outcome, we, uh, for every team through the scan day, you know, every cycle of module in the standard. we pulled out different people to take the scenario and work. So by the time, at the end of the day, we had 150 people on it for say an hour and a half. And then we had 10 or 12 people on it through every cycle of the rest of the day. And we built this very formal model. And, and this is an important point. It was two years later that the, um, won't tell you the whole story, but the, the, the people from the uh, college, the military college, came out and uh, looked at our model and then pulled out three big fat books and checked what they had against this model. And we had like an 85% similarity, but they had taken 60 criminals For three months out of operations and taking them to the war college to build their scenario and we had you know and it it caused quite a stir but the final thing on this it was only four or five years ago that i read in the military times that the war college had ever even done that exercise so you see the time lags? so when you're looking at a system you have to know the time lags. if you see something flying in the air I'm gonna tell you it was designed twenty-five years ago. You don't see what's (laughs) you just don't. And 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 so it takes that long to build a military airplane takes 15 to 20 years from design to the first one that you'll see flying in the air. And and so when you're looking at any system, I don't care if it's coal or oil or uh you know the something happening to the planet. Study the past and measure out the timelines of the significant causal factors and then build your scenario based on that and then watch what you see and you can trace along the line. Now, there will be surprises. The war starts. Certain things accelerate very fast. What we just experienced now with this epidemic, certain things will accelerate now. Uh, Certain things that have been laying through someone's drawer will come out because there was no market for that idea or that technique or that methodology until now. But nevertheless, you can't do it, but you can do a damn good job of building a model of it. And and, and this is why, you know, Gail and I, when we talk to business people and, and other people, we say, whether it's fair or not, here's what we say if you get surprised, shame on you. You cannot afford to get constantly surprised I think, in this kind of environment.
2: I think the surprise comes with how not if and not when, even when mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. exactly, mostly quantum time doesn't let us know exactly when, when we're going to wake up <laughs> to this new reality or its character. So you can on um, little things. I mean, a year ago, I said, okay, there's a market for masks, Who's going to, how many companies are going to start making masks with cats and dogs? I saw a cat mask, you know, with the whiskers and everything. And now, of course, we're making them all ourselves, but you better bet that a whole bunch of market, uh, little companies are going to start producing masks, you know, and um, for all different kinds of, you know, not going to be just Halloween masks we um, go walking around. Uh, I, somebody said they put a milk bottle over their head the other day. they come off the bottom stuck a a milk bottle over their head.
0: <laughs> uh, we've seen some really weird weird stuff out there when we go to the supermarket.
2: <laughs> it's kind of fun. I mean that's one thing that's not short of the human of the human humor, we have able, humor. And, and immediate creativity, whether it's useful creativity or not, is another question but that creativity just wakes up. Um, yeah. So, so. So the other thing, Matt's talked about, going back decades. My 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 urgency is to go forward as well.
0: Um, oh, yeah. And
2: so Matt's not, Matt isn't lacking that. But if you don't have a vision, if you don't have an intention, I mean, even Earth, I think. Has intentions, but that vision out there for, so what? You know, what am I, why do we signal if I don't have my own sense of something I want to have happen, something I hope will happen, not in its definitive nature, but you know, when we did the timeline at the uh, design shop, we reached out to what, 2016, something like that. And, there was a lot of play there back and forth, and people really kind of got into it. That kind of imagination and putting your senses to it, not just up here.
1: Your intuition.
2: Your intuition, your, bring your sensory your experiences, what would it feel like? What, you know, there's so much happening today in terms of finding solutions for plastic, finding solutions for concrete, finding solutions for so many things. Just think out 10 years and under what your environment's going to be like with all of these products now under development and research that will be developing if if the market opens to you
1: There's there's other things to look at, and one important an argument for going back there's a, there's a book that just came out that talks about the first month that the U.S. government with with the the book is fat, several hundred pages. And it tells a day by day thing about what the US government did the first 30 days after a Pearl Harbor. Okay.
0: Uh, after what, sorry? Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor.
1: The Japanese attackers at Pearl Harbor. And at the end of 30 days, the entire nation was on a war footing, and General Motors was putting out B 24s, not cars, in 30 days. And
0: what, what are they?
1: The biggest bomber that flew in World War II.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: Okay, The twin-tailed four-engine big bomber. Uh, the, 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 that was the first ones we used that, that held the Japanese off because it had a long range. My father flew and uh, got shot up a lot. But anyway, uh, the, uh, the point is now take that and compare the response of the U.S. government to this virus. It's a joke. It's a joke. The difference in performance between that Roosevelt government and the Congress and everything and our current is, is, it's it's not even in the same game. Okay. So when you talk about trends now, that's the other factor that you look at. Uh, we came out of World War II with a very efficient capability and lots of wealth. And so lots of things immediately came to the market and happened that didn't happen before. In medical, in you know, all those doctors trained in World War II, some of the greatest surgeons in the world. We had those capabilities. We are not creating those capabilities at the same rate in the same capacity and the ability to bring them to bear As well as we were what 50 years ago, and so when you start looking, 75, 75, right? As you (laughs) start, yeah, close to 80. When you start looking, uh, no, it wasn't 80 because I would have, I wouldn't notice what's going on if I was only two. Um, But the um, those models, good, bad, or indifferent, create the matrix out of which the things you're looking for and what rate of change is important and what isn't. Uh, the rate of change of electronics is one thing that was just kept for television, it's another thing that becomes the only way we can talk to one another. Um, and, and, and so those are the factors uh, and they're all there and they're all documented and there's manuals and costs, time, everything. And, and so that's why I say, um, and it's not that we won't be fooled or we won't miss things, but our due diligence to me, the due diligence of being human now in this time, this transformation, is to become very aware of all these things because what's different? We are reacting to the environment that we created over the last 300 years, think about that.
2: I think, you know, even when, when I started looking at the next 25 years, 25 years ago or 30 years ago now, 40 years ago years. Actually, um, I could sense it in my head. I could mm-hmm. see, and I could see the paradigm coming down. I could see it closing and I could see in my imagination that another one would come. And I had, I had spent some uh, uh, time thinking about that. And I knew that there'd be a crisis then. I had an intellectual understanding of that, what happens when cultures mix and, and I'd read the structure of scientific revolutions and mm-hmm. other things like that. So I knew in my head, but the reality of it is so much different. And mm-hmm. it's, um, and it's it's more painful in some ways; it's exciting in other ways. But it, you know, the more we can learn, and maybe this is with um, the tools we're developing, is how to how to our sensory experiences around the possible potential or possibility of an idea would be really exciting. You know, I've heard that we have something like 180 different senses. Most of them were stone dead on us, but that, um, and this new world that we can, if we can go about creating a world as a work of art and employ ourselves in regenerating earth as a work of art, which is, you know, now one major scenario, let's just put everybody to work. I, I learned today from John Todd, you probably don't know John, but John was one of the first environmentalists, uh, and he had Woods Hole in, on the East Coast. It's very well known. But I was listening to him today, and he said, um, regeneration, we're finding out that we can put microbes, a variety of microbes, spread it out on the, the most pollution polluting soils we can find. and And putting it out as a cocktail of microbes that can get it. He says within moments, they begin self-organizing and they begin forming to be able to, those that want to eat that and yum-yum and those that don't kind of dissolve or nobody knows yet what's happening to them, but but, you know, it just starts immediately.
1: Oh, radioactivity, (laughs) food.
2: And we don't think there's any intelligence there, you know. But the the idea, I mean, it's just it's just phenomenal. So his book, I've forgotten the name of it right now. I'll send it to you at some point. Is all about how fast change can happen under the right conditions. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's you know he's proposing instead of having refugee camps, let's just take. He says if we take the the, the he's redoing the one of the least productive deserts and restoring it right now with phenomenal results. Um, and he says, if we just take the the world the, the soils that are no longer working in the deserts and, and, and use them to garden and to plant and to relearn as people how to be with the earth um, instead of in control of the earth, but be with it and see see the beauty that we generate together. Um, anyway, it was an interesting listen to. Uh, I'll send you the tape and you might want to listen. John's quite well known in this country.
1: In, in the 60s, he had a house that he built where all the food, including fish and other, okay, were uh, came out of that house, out of this closed-in garden. Yeah, from the garden, And and uh, And that was that time. Of, 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 and as far as I know, there's only in the United States one architect uh, that uh, uh, still builds those kinds of houses. And, and he's out in Arizona somewhere. Is it Arizona? Out there in the desert. And the city next to him, the architectural department said, in your ground, the new bought." You can do anything architecturally you want. We will not touch it. And There's now, yeah, codes, uh, codes. because the codes would make it impossible. And and uh, that we trust you, that you know your engineering and everything. You're not going to burn down. And he calls these earthships. And he now has a huge number of people that have come out and know earth earthships. And that's been going on since I I first read about him in the 70s. Yeah.
2: Mentioned today, and I won't get into it, but he said, oh, yes, I was there when Emory Levens and, and the Land Institute, um, mm-hmm. you know, was working. And they brought up all the things that we were, when we met, we were talking about the future. That was like 40 years ago, but we can see it today. We can really see it um, becoming more and more, more than a conversation today. It's really yeah. beginning to catch on. And and that's
1: another thing about what we started with. The good news is exponentially greater than it was 40, 50 years ago. Uh, Because, you know, we've been following it this long so we we can make that statement with some authority. The good news is exponentially greater. It's still not being reported as much. But uh, mostly it's overwhelmingly negative. In, contra- in, in conflicting uh, information because that sells more whatever someone's selling. But the good news, I mean, if someone sat down and said, I'm going to take a year and just research into all the good stuff that's happening, uh, they would not have hardly dug the hole and about 10 more things would have come up. <laughs> if it wasn't even when they started. I mean, it's just fantastic. And so, our society is focusing on the wrong side of the equation. Do
2: you, you guys know the Brameen Bank story? Uh, the what story? Brameen Bank. No. A guy named Yuma, y- y- uh, Yunus, uh, I have to look it up. Yunus, I think, has, um, he went to a hundred, he wanted, he said, you know, if people just had $10 they could start a business. In India, this is in the developing countries. And he started talking with women. And I know you'll tune into the story because it's still going on. But he he started checking with the women and helped them form groups of 12. And then he went to a 100 different banks before he found it, before he got a, a yes with yes, these people are worth lending to. And it wasn't lending like $5,000, $5,000, it was like lending a $100. And the bank said, we'll never get our money back. We'll never, never, never. Well, he stuck with it. But over the and that was in the 60s and 70s when we were, you know, conversations we were beginning to have um, uh, 99.9% of all loans have been paid back. And it's like the Kiva or other, you may have some in Australia that you can go to and then reinvest and reinvest. But he, anyway, has done remarkable things. And he has a book out, probably four or five years old, called Three Zeros, zero zero Carbon, but Zero Unemployment and Zero Work for Corporations. (laughs) I think Zero Work for Large International. Because he does, he says, why do you have to work for somebody else? I mean, you guys know this, Um, you know, I mean, if you think you, it's a choice. It's always a choice. But for most people, it's not a choice yet. And he's, so he's talking about all these, how we're forming small groups or groups. Um, for instance, the fabric people and the designers and the dye companies are beginning to form an ecosystem. So now they are. You know getting the wool and doing everything with it or the cotton or whatever and the designers part of that whole process as is the dye and they you know so they've got zero waste from it's a it's a new way of thinking about supply chain only it's not a chain and they're, they're co-creating more than they're supplying but i think it's really going to take off i mean there's i hear about different ones every day now what they what i've heard they don't know enough about is how to keep it going? You know, they're when it's really small.
1: It's easy, um,
2: but yeah. then as it grows, they're looking at you know how how do we <laughs> how do we keep on going? So but, mm-hmm. so so the beautiful thing is we are self-organizing as individuals into small into groups. Now a lot of because we Matt and I talked about how we don't. Reporting doesn't share much context. It just reports facts. And those facts can just tear us apart. But when you put a context over that and around that, as Martina tells the story of living in a complex where she was quite sure she didn't like some of her neighbors and their political views. And then she had to go home and stay in her home. They all would come out of their doors at six o'clock at night or four o'clock or whatever, and they'd have a conversation. And she said, you know, I love them. We're friends. We're friends. So that larger context has to be there. And we're so used to going in and going right, because it's efficient, right? Going right to the issue and not having time to explore each other's horizons and and test ideas and play with thoughts and ideas. It's, uh, yeah.
1: You know, an important point here, these stories are really interesting. And we got a thousand of them, but anyway, (laughs) the stories are really interesting. But then you see, and, and here's the important part. You can take these stories and then you see the architecture of the design shop. The architecture and design shop, uh, it's got technology involved and tech, it's technical, you know, it has a patent. It had, to, it, had to, it had to be technical enough for the government to give it a patent. I mean, that was not at all. It was 15 years I was told it wouldn't happen, but it happened, right? So it's technical, but all it is is creating an environment in which those kinds of stories have a chance to live. And knowing that if you put people into that environment, and it's it's in the first part of it, it's very contained, they break out. And when you put people in that environment, you're just literally putting them into the world you're hoping they will design in general. So we we created this model of a better world and we put people into that model. And what do they do? They behave differently. It's actually that simple. And when they behave different and there's all this information and then they're they're there for an outcome and they start playing around with it they come out with very different results and and most systems about design and thinking and psychology and stuff like that and how are we going to change the organization how are we going to change people how are we going to teach them are so complex and detailed and, and top down and controlled rather than just the very simple thing of being the environment that is the environment that enables them just to be human and to accomplish their goals. So we are all of us together, the knowledge workers and everything, and the books that we get information from, the whole the architecture, everything that we create is just creating something that is more like the future that enables them to walk into it and play.
0: It's, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you guys. It's like we love we love listening to you and um you're always so generous with your knowledge and yeah, we really appreciate it and it's such a blessing to just be able to to, to, to have have time with you and, and to be able to contact you and And, um, yeah, we thank you very much for that. Thanks for listening to another episode of Make Friends With Change. You can find us on Instagram at wordplaystudio, facebook.com forward slash wordplaystudionews, or search Wordplay Studio on YouTube. Also, you can view our work on wordplaystudio.com. Again, thanks for listening to the Make Friends With Change podcast. Ciao. Beijos.